Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. More than 200 fire department jurisdictions trust the Knox entry system to provide secure access to buildings, elevators, and control rooms when seconds matter. Now, businesses, schools, airports, several industrial applications are also using Knox entry to manage controlled access and authorize service activity for critical assets. Now, Knox entry allows you to develop a customized access strategy complete with an audit trail and rapid flexibility. Just go to Knox.com for more information. That's K-N-O-X.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. All right, so I have insomnia, but I've never slept better. And what's changed? Just a pillow. It's had such a positive impact on my life. And, of course, I'm talking about my pillow. I fall asleep faster. I stay asleep longer. And now you can, too. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090. Use the promo code Hannity. And Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has the special four-pack. Now, you get 40% off two MyPillow premiums and two go-anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow is made here in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com right now or call 800-919-6090, promo code Hannity, to get Mike Lindell's special four-pack offer. You get two MyPillow premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows for 40% off, and that means once those pillows arrive, you start getting the kind of peaceful and restful and comfortable and deep healing and recuperative sleep that you've been craving and you certainly deserve. MyPillow.com, promo code Hannity. You will love this pillow. All right, glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza on this Wednesday, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to join us. Yeah, I'm very interested in the iPhone. What are they calling it? The Joy of 10 or the Joy of X or what do they call it? X or 10? I don't even know. Um, but they got the new iPhone coming out. Apparently, it's got facial recognition technology. Great. Just more ways they can steal our emails and our texts and our phone calls. Remember, we had Bill Binney, 34-year vet of the NSA on the program. Oh, yeah, everything's stored. Everything's metadata stored. I'm like, great. This is wonderful. Yeah, there are big storage facilities in Salt Lake and other places around the country. I'm like, oh, that makes me happy. That makes me feel secure. Um, A lot. Trump meets with a bipartisan group of House members 
more Democrats than Republicans. He's going to meet with Schumer and Pelosi tonight. And everybody, what are you saying in my ear? It doesn't help if you say it in my ear. Oh, the president's actually speaking now with, I guess, this bipartisan group of people. I think it's really the whole concept of what we're trying to do is very, very important. Inspired by the example of our own citizens, we should be able to come together to make government work for the people. That's why I was elected. That's why I ran. And to provide jobs and opportunity to millions of struggling families. This includes tax reform that is pro-jobs, pro-growth, pro-family, and pro-American. It's very simple. It's all pro-American. We have four principles for tax reform. Make the tax code simple and fair. Cut taxes substantially. It'll be the largest tax decrease in the history of our country for the middle class. Encourage companies to hire and grow in America. And by doing that, we're going to have to reduce the taxes for companies. Right now, we're at 35 percent and really much higher when you add state taxes in. And China is at 15 percent. Then we wonder why are we not competing well against China. So they're at 15 percent and we're at 35 plus. And that doesn't work. And bring back trillions of dollars. We have trillions of dollars overseas that we'll bring back and we'll bring them back quickly. So... This is money that uh, Josh and Tom and everybody in this room can tell you. Everybody's agreed to bring it back for years, but it never gets done. So we're putting it down as part of our tax proposal. Another bipartisan project that is urgently needed is infrastructure and infrastructure investment. For decades now, Washington has allowed our infrastructure to fall into a state of total decay and disrepair. And it's time now to build new roads, new bridges, airports, tunnels, highways, and railways all across our great land. When we set aside our differences, and it's amazing sometimes how little our differences are, we put our country and we put the citizens of our country first. And that's what this is all about. So we want to have a great new tax cut and tax reform, simplification, and massive cuts. And we want to get our country working again and competing again worldwide. And there'll be nothing that can stop us. On top of that, we'll be discussing probably a little bit of health care, because I know some information's come to light. So we'll be discussing, because ultimately, uh, well, we have some Democrats. I won't speak. I think I can speak for the Republicans generally. But we do want to do something very, very powerfully with respect to Obamacare. It has not worked. The rates are going through the roof. The uh, the numbers that you look at, no matter where you go, no matter where you look, uh, health care is failing in our country. And we're going to get a change, and we're going to get a change fast. Uh, infrastructure we'll be talking about, and we'll probably also be talking about DACA, because we don't want to forget DACA. And it's already been a week and a half, and people don't talk about it as much. We want to see if we can do something with regard to immigration, with regard to the 800,000 people that are now young people. They're not children anymore. They were children. Now they're young people. But we want to see if we can do something in a bipartisan fashion so that we can solve the DACA problem and other immigration problems. So we'll be discussing that today. And then tonight, I'm having dinner with Senator Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, and uh, we'll continue some discussions. So we have a lot of things in the fire. 
But I think right now, uh, first and foremost, so that we can compete again, and especially in light of the fact that we had two massive hurricanes, uh, the likes of which I guess our country has never seen. I don't think they've ever seen. One was the biggest ever in water, and the other was the biggest ever in wind. And uh, you put them together, and we have devastation in Texas and in Florida. And we've done, and other parts of our country, by the way. Uh, and I think we've gotten very high marks for the way we've handled them thus far, and we continue to handle them well. But they were, they were very big and very powerful, and it was very unfortunate. But uh, because of that, more than ever, we now need great tax reform and great tax cuts. So we are here as a group, bipartisan, to try and see what we can come up with. Thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that's the president meeting with this bipartisan group of House members. There are more Democrats than there are Republicans at this meeting. Now, besides DACA, and I'll get to that separately in in just a minute, there's not one other thing that the president hadn't campaigned on. And I was taking note of everything that the president was saying here. And here's the position that weak Republicans have now put the president in, in my opinion, is that once they came back from their August recess, after their Fourth of July recess, after their Memorial Day recess, after their recess, 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 I mean, they weren't even prepared to do the debt ceiling. And Mitch McConnell, just as I pointed out at the start of the program yesterday, is now actually talking about moving the his the economic, the tax plan, tax reform into next year, meaning he's not getting anything done. He has no plans to get anything done, hasn't gotten anything done, has no urgency, no sense that he has a responsibility to keep the promises he made to the American people. Now, so the president needs to get money for Texas because he promised the people of Texas money in light of what happened with Hurricane Harvey. Okay, needs the money immediately, it expands the debt ceiling, which was going to happen in some way, shape, matter, or form. Republicans had no plan. And the big news is he did it with Pelosi and Schumer. Fact is, Republicans also had a say in it. But putting all of that aside, and anybody that voted for Trump today, and all the never-Trumpers, I'm getting a kick out of them, they're all sitting back and they're all saying, wow, this is unbelievable. And then there's, uh, I was watching, I think it was Karl Rove today, blaming the Freedom Caucus. Freedom Caucus was solely almost responsible for passing the House plan on health care. And you can't blame the Freedom Caucus for the fact that 100 Republicans in the House had zero intention of ever, ever keeping their promise on repealing and replacing. So then facing that reality, then the Freedom Caucus, they got together with the Tuesday group and the Sunday group and the drinking group and the, you know, let's only stay up till 3 a.m. group. And, and they ended up and then finally working with House leadership. You got to remember how that all happened. Remember, the House never showed a single member what plan they had for repealing and replacing Obamacare. When it came out, we had heard all sorts of rumors and all the rumors ended up being true. It was never a consensus plan. There were no disparate groups that were brought together. It was a top-down leadership plan that was never going to pass, and it didn't pass. But anyway, ultimately, working with the Freedom Caucus and the Tuesday group and the moderate, weak Republicans that lied during their campaigns, they ended up getting it passed by one vote, and then they sent it to the Senate. The worst part that happened in the Senate, what, six or seven Republican senators that had voted just for straight repeal just a couple of years ago, 2015. They wouldn't even vote the same way they did because now it mattered. Now a president would have signed the bill 
So the Republicans have pretty much rendered themselves useless to the president because they don't keep their promises. They're not doing their job. They have no sense of urgency. I know this president pretty well. I've known him for a couple of decades. I think part of this, I think it's twofold here. I think part of it is he's the consummate, never-ending negotiator. And what he's doing is he's showing the Republican Party, if you're not going to step up, if you're not going to do your job, if I can't count on you to keep your promises, then I'm just going to have to figure out another way to do it because I made promises to the American people. And hence, in comes the opportunist Democratic Party. Now, some of you think he can't trust them. He's not stupid. He knows he can't trust Chuck Schumer. He knows he can't trust Nancy Pelosi. He knows he can't trust the Democrats. But if they're going to find agreement and he and if they'll support his tax plan, if they'll support, as he said, the biggest tax cuts in the history of the country, if they'll support the infrastructure that he ran on during the campaign, if they're going to support simplifying the tax code, then at the end of the day, my guess is the president will go along with the people that are willing to work and get the bill and, and cross the finish line. So that the promise to the forgotten men and women in this country is going to be fulfilled. Now, I don't trust Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer as far as I can throw them. And I think the president's well aware that when it comes election time in 2020, there's not one of these people that he might be thinking of working with now that will ever say a nice thing about him or want to work with him in the future. What the Democrats are thinking is good. Republicans are stupid. They got everything they wanted. They can't get their act together. And because they can't get their act together, well, now they've got a president in a box in a position that he's going to do whatever he needs to do to get the job done. So Senate Republicans, they refuse to use their majority to pass legislation. And McConnell refuses to go to a simple majority in the Senate. So he now is trying to build a coalition. Now, just general thinking tells me that a coalition is never going to be as good as what the Republicans could have done on their own. They're trying to hammer out a compromise. Maybe it fails. Maybe it doesn't. Anyway, you got four Republicans in this meeting now, eight Democratic House members, and that included the co-chairman of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, Tom Reed of New York, a Republican, Josh, what's his name, Gottheimer of New Jersey, and a source uh, telling Politico that the meeting would include a number of other moderates. Henry Cuellar, Texas, co-chair of the Democratic Blue Dog Coalition. And tax reform is the major discussion at the White House. And they've been collaborating now forever with the GOP. And the GOP wouldn't take the Freedom Caucus's advice. And they still had to take yet another vacation. You know, we'll have uh, Senator uh, Ted Cruz on the program later in the program today. I, I know he's as, as disgusted as I am. With his colleagues, he probably won't say it as loudly as I'm saying it, but Ted Cruz knows and he understands that if they don't keep their promises, then they're going to pay a big political price. Ted Cruz laid out a simple, here's one page, flat, simple, and fair, seven priorities of tax relief, a low flat tax rate, file on a postcard, allow full and immediate expensing, lower the corporate rate, encourage repatriation, end the death tax, and the alternative minimum tax. Okay, that's not complicated. What have I been saying? Seven brackets to three, 15% corporate tax, allow repatriation, multinational, so they'll build factories and manufacturing centers and get the forgotten men and women back to work. I've been saying it every day. I feel like a broken record. Probably one of the few in the media that actually talks about real answers and solutions. Reagan cut taxes in the 80s in his presidency 
from 70 to 28 percent. Revenues to the government doubled and 20 million jobs were created. It was good for the forgotten men and women of the time, and it would work now. Conservative principles work. All right, we'll get back to this on the other side. Uh, we're loaded up today. We do have Senator Ted Cruz uh, on the program. Geraldo's going to join us today. Trent Frank says Debbie Wasserman Schultz is in big trouble. He'll join us. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity Show. What What is smarter than what? Here's what I don't understand. I I get, I understand that some Republicans don't like Donald Trump. They just don't like him. I have confirmed information that when Senate doors are locked, I can tell you, you know who they are. I mean, people like McCain and people like Ben Sass and Jeff Flake and a, a bunch of other Republicans. They just are vicious and nasty to the president behind the scenes. All right. So Jeff Flake's probably going to lose the primary. And I think there are many others. I don't think Mitch McConnell supporting Luther Strange in Alabama is going to help in that particular race. That's my guess. And I'm, I'm just thinking that if they don't understand, look, Republicans have a historic opportunity. Here's what it is. If they do get their act together and come up with a repeal and replacement of Obamacare that offers options, even if it's the return it to the state option and let the states figure out for themselves the best way to come up with care, then we're going to come up with creative solutions and opportunities for health savings accounts and things like the cooperatives like Dr. Josh down in Wichita. If they can get that done, if they can get seven to three brackets for taxation and a postcard that you file on, if they can get a 15% corporate rate, the repatriation of multinationals, and that means those companies, corporations, A, don't pay taxes, they pass it on to the consumers, and then also middle-class tax cuts. But if you get that money flowing into the economy, those companies are not going to put their money in a bank account. They want to invest. Their job is to make money. The way they make money is to invest, research, development, Factories, manufacturing centers, that's what they want. That's what they're going to do. And that means people that are forgotten in poverty on food stamps out of the labor force will have new job opportunities that they never had before. If they would finally realize the necessity for energy independence, and we could be energy independent, great for national security and the creation of millions of high-paying career jobs, that would, again, help the forgotten men and women. Then if they secure the country, build the border, continue on vetting, if and cons- continue with conservative justices on the Supreme Court, you do all those things, and what they're going to have is beyond their wildest dream success in 2018. If they don't, they risk losing it all in the House and Senate. That's their problem. It's not the president's problem. They are the ones that are creating their own problem. Twenty-five till the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, 
All right, we got other news uh, today. Then we're going to get to your calls here. Senator Ted Cruz at the top of the next hour. Then we've got Senator Trent, uh, sorry, Congressman Trent Franks. Wait till you hear the news he's got. He thinks Debbie Wasserman Schultz, he thinks Ron Iwan Iwan is now going to flip and she's in deep trouble, really deep trouble. I know the rest of the media is ignoring it, sort of like the Robert Menendez trial in New Jersey. And uh, he's in big trouble also. Now the Democrats are saying, well, maybe you don't have to throw him out of the Senate. Maybe we can keep him wait for Christie to his term to be over in early January. And then we can have a Democratic uh, Democratic government governor appoint him. And Christie's approval rating is so low. There's no way I think a Republican can win that race at this point. Uh, it didn't help the picture on the beach, the closed beach this summer. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, the media coverage of Donald Trump, should, this should not surprise you because we've been pointing it out. They wake up every day obsessed. They're like drug addicts and they wake up and they need their fix and their fix is hating Donald Trump and their fix is conspiracy theories. And I was flipping around the channels on cable last night. I'm like, I'm, I'm laughing. We're in the middle of, you know, major news on a hundred different fronts. You know, NBC News is basically Russia, 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 when there's no Russia news. So what they actually did, I was watching uh, I was watching Maddow for like as long as I could handle it. And she literally, so what she does is she goes back to March and May and the headlines from then because, you know, that's all they really have. Um, let's not modernize our narrative. Let's not break a good conspiracy theory while we're at it. Even though the conspiracy theory's been dead on the vine for a long time ago. And I don't know what's going to happen to a lot of these uh, networks. We, you know what? I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to have egg on their face, and they'll just never admit it. That's how partisan they've become. That's how far from the mission of being objective and discerning and seeking truth they've come from. They don't care. They, you notice they never, ever talk about some of the answers to America's problems. They never talk about that. They never talk. They don't care. You know, the left seems to want to create the narrative that that they've got a monopoly on compassion in this country for the poor and the elderly and the sick and minorities and and identity politics. Just it is who they are. But if they really cared, you'd think they'd offer solutions. They don't have any. Just like the Democratic Party. They don't have any. None. And they never talk about them. And the same with the New York Times and the Washington Post. They don't care either. Because if they cared, you know, they spend all their time either advancing stories that they end up half of them retracting in some way, shape, matter, or form, or turn out not being true, and they just never deal with it. And so what they're going to do is they'll get caught with egg on their face, and there won't be any Russia-Trump collusion, and Mueller will advance 15 layers beyond what his original purpose was. Why Rod Rosenstein isn't reining him in, I don't know. And, uh, you know, that's and they'll just move on to the next conspiracy theory. This is it. This time we got him. We got him this time. He's he's done. Pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, it's like every election year you can count on the false narrative. Republicans are racist. Republicans are sexist, misogynistic. They're Islamophobes. They're xenophobes. They're homophobes. And it just goes on from there. I don't know these people. You know, there is a huge double standard. I don't know if you've been following this case out of CNN and Jamil Hill is on one of the prime sports center shows. I guess it's 6 p.m. It's also known as the six. 
Anyway, she was on a tweet storm this weekend saying Donald Trump is a white supremacist who's largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. It's a lie. You know, you would think that ESPN would have said maybe this is not good. Anyway, she says the height of white privilege is being able to ignore his white supremacy because it's of no threat to you. Well, it's a threat to me. She began this whole diatribe because of the news that Kid Rock might be running for the Senate in Michigan. Anyway, and uh, the article accused the media of, well, whatever it has to do, that he, he loves people of all colors, and that set her off. And she went. Um, I think ESPN is now suspended. Is that true? Jimmy Hill. But anyway, she put out an apology. I deeply regret the comment I made in a column on Saturday in expressing my passion for the NBA in my hometown of Detroit. That's an old article. Okay, so that was the last incident that she was involved in. Yeah, she in, got but... suspended for that <clears throat> earlier. It was like 2007, But she didn't get suspended for this one. So far, this has been unaddressed. So far, nothing has happened. Nothing has happened since <laughs> her disgusting Don't they have a comments. history of firing everybody at ESPN? They do. They're a pretty rapid fire on that, pun intended. And I, I remember they went after my buddy Stephen A. Smith. I'm like, leave this guy alone. Eat this guy. It was, uh, you know, I, why is it the left? Now, I'm not going to do what the left does. I find what her comments totally inaccurate, an outright lie, and repugnant. And if ESPN wants to keep her on the air, that's their business. But I can tell you, if any conservative said anything similar, let's say if Barack Obama was president, God help that conservative, they'd be off the air in five seconds, done, finished, career over. Such a double standard. Anyway, 90% of the coverage of Donald Trump, which is where I started, a study released yesterday by the Media Research Center, 91% of the recent coverage on the three networks have been negative. Does that surprise you? 90% negative. So reporters, you know, beat him up relentlessly for two years. Then they pretend it's shocking that their poll numbers are so low. It's like Congress's poll numbers are so low. What else do we have today? The White House is calling for, and I agree with them here, uh, for an investigation into James Comey based on the allegations of official misconduct while he was in office. Well, I think they're absolutely right. He politicized the investigation and he signaled in every way he possibly could, the exoneration of Hillary Clinton before he interviewed her or other some 16 other witnesses. As he drafted his exoneration statement, you know, weeks, if not a month or two months before, even interviewing her. And didn't even put her under oath, which was ridiculous, too. Uh, there is some complaints out there. Hillary has a brand new book, and apparently Amazon is monitoring and deleting reviews of Hillary Clinton's book. I can tell you they didn't do it for any of my books. Back up, you creep. I'm Get sorry. away from me. Get, oh, back up, you creep. They're away from me. This uh, is not okay. We are now up to 42 excuses from Hillary Clinton. 42 as to why she lost. What happened? <laughs> Trump happened. Why isn't Trump on the list? He's not on the list. That you were a horrible candidate. That's not on the list either. That you were uninspiring. That wasn't on the list. That you didn't campaign as hard as Trump campaigned. Now, she blames sexism, racism, misogyny, xenophobia, suburban women, James Comey, FBI, Russians, Putin, WikiLeaks, DNC, Barack Obama, Biden, Sanders, Anthony Weiner, Electoral College, polling data, cable news, New York Times, fake news, bots, 
Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, TV executives, anti-American forces, Democratic documentaries, low-information voters, people wanting change, people who assume she'd win, Republican Party, content farms from Macedonia, Infowars, Guccifer, D.C. Leaks, Jill Stein, Bannon, voter ID laws, Chief Justice Roberts, KC Secretary of State Chris Kobach, Citizens United, and colluding Trump officials. That's just... <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. All right, enough. Um, you know, Benghazi contractors actually said this, that that they said Hillary's State Department silenced them with threats. This was by Catherine Herridge, my colleague of Fox. You know, she starts a book tour, the Benghazi scandal. Or, you know, again, the five year anniversary was on September 11th. That was 2012, not September 11th. Oh, one. Anyway, the revelation that the security company hired a guard, hired to guard the compound, used guards who weren't even armed. A lot of good that is. And on top of that, why are you speaking in my ear? Why don't you just come on the air? We actually have the audio of this. I thought you might like to hear it. No, that's all right. That's fine. Um, but they, but they, she didn't protect them. And then she's all right. Go ahead, play. You want to play? Go ahead. I see. Was the State Department contract officer trying to silence you? Oh, absolutely. The U.S. ambassador is dead, and nobody is held accountable for it. And three guys who try to defend him all died. The people who made the poor choices that actually, I would say, were more responsible for the Benghazi attacks than anyone else, they're still in the same positions, making security choices for our embassies overseas now. Five years after the attack, could it happen again? Oh, absolutely. Nothing's changed. Blue Mountain UK is a teeny tiny little security company registered in Wales that had never had a diplomatic security contract, had never done any high threat contracts anywhere else in the world that we've been able to find. It's gross incompetence or, or negligence, one of the two. They came back to us and said, can you guys come in and take over security? So we were ready. I mean, you know, unfortunately, 12 days later, the ambassador was killed. She stopped me in the lobby short of the uh, guard post and, um, and uh, had a conversation with me with respect to uh, Benghazi. What did the State Department contract officer say? Uh, she said that uh, I and people from Taurus should not speak to the media, should not speak to uh, any officials with respect to uh, the Benghazi program. When you chose to be silent, did you feel any guilt about it? Oh, absolutely. We had about 8,000 employees at the time. You know, we just didn't need that level of damage because these guys, their livelihood relies on the company. Since that conversation, we bid on 20 security force contracts for U.S. embassies and lost 18. Do you feel more comfortable coming forward now because there's been a change in administration? That was probably the key reason that I stepped forward given that the politics has been taken out of the Benghazi situation. Now that there's no longer a candidate or anything related to it, we have an opportunity here to fix the problems that made it happen. The contractors describe their State Department experience as the swamp squared. I mean, how do you even respond to that? All right, 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. Let's go to uh, Dave is in Kansas. Dave, hi, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing, Sean? I'm good, sir. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. Um, I was, the only point I really wanted to make was I was a big, huge supporter in the primaries of your of your guests coming up, and I'll I'll be Ted Cruz. Yeah. yeah, you bet. And, By the way, he's uh, one of the few people that I actually trust and and believe that will keep his promises. The guy's a man of his word. That's absolutely that's absolutely true, and uh, and that's that's I didn't care about anything else except except that he he's an honorable guy and and he do just like you said what he what he said he'd do but you know in the in the uh 
general election, I voted for Trump with, with some trepidation. But my feeling then and, and even now is that, well, even more so now, is that he, uh, you know, he approaches everything strictly from a, a business model approach because that's what he's comfortable with. That's what he's successful at. And I think a lot of people thought he would change, you know, once he took office. But he hasn't. He's, he's stuck to that model because it's been successful for him. And nobody in Washington understands a business model. I'll bet there isn't a handful of politicians that have, that have hey, been successful. Listen, I, I think he just made a decision. You people are pathetic, and they are pathetic. And you people aren't keeping your word. And, you, and it's just inexcusable. And he's going he's gonna to move on and find another answer. And it's sort of like if you're negotiating to build a building, let's say, and you're negotiating the price of windows, and you can get windows from one guy that's offering you this, and you're negotiating with another guy, and he can't get his act together and get the job done, you're going to go with the guy that can get the job done. And he's, he's given the Democrats, and the Democrats are loving it. And Republicans have created this, this meeting today and tonight. They did it. They own it. They built it, if you want to quote a phrase from Obama. Anyway, let me keep going here. Good point, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate it. Let's go to Jason in Canada. Jason, how are you? Sean, it's a pleasure and an honor, sir. Nice to meet you. Uh, I want to say, on a personal note, uh, you and your team have never been sharper on TV and on the radio. And on a political note, uh, as an outsider, as a Canadian, looking at your country, you have a great president. I would give anything to have President Trump, and his own party is sabotaging him. And That's uh, all just true. To close, just to close, I would say that uh, you can't look at it that you have the majority of Republicans in the Senate and Congress. You have to look at who are true conservatives and who are not and go from there and get rid of them in primaries. That's what I think, sir. Well, I think it's already happening. I mean, Mitch McConnell supporting Luther Strange down in Alabama, and people have said, you know what? We don't trust them. You're supporting them. And, these, and we don't need another swamp creature. And that's why I think Roy Moore is going to win that election. That's my guess. And in that sense, I don't blame people because they've been betrayed and stabbed in the back too much. And they've had it. So have I. I've, I've had it. I have no patience for laziness, broken promises, incompetence, no sense of urgency, not giving a rip about the people they're supposed to be serving. That's my take on the Republican Party. My job is to be honest. I don't care. Whoever's going to solve the problems of the men and women that need help in poverty on food stamps, out of work, and help them have a better life, that's who I'm for. And, not, and, and find creative answers. This is not brain surgery. I have brain surgeon friends. This isn't it. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue. All right, as we roll along, Sean Hannity show. All right, a lot to get to today. Um, I think Ted Cruz, I'm guessing, based on what he put out today, flat, simple, fair. He's got, he basically, his plan for tax relief is exactly the same as the president's. Now the president, because of Republican failure, Mitch McConnell say, well, we might push that to 2018. Their inability to get health care done. Well, they've now pushed the president. Now he's got to meet with Democrats. This is pathetic. I've never seen such incompetence in my life. Also, Geraldo, Congressman Trent Franks with news on Debbie Wasserman Schultz and so much more. 800-941-SEAN is our number. We'll continue. All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, toll free. Our telephone number is 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. 
Um, I'm getting so much email that the president now not only reached out on getting money for Texas, which they desperately needed after Hurricane Harvey and then extending the debt ceiling at least through December, January, maybe even February now. We'll, we'll find out eventually. Um, and people are angry. And then he asked for dinner tonight, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. People are saying, this is outrageous. And there's a part of me that agrees. And then there's a part of me that is so disgusted with the Republican Party, especially the leadership, especially the Senate, with a few exceptions, that after seven and a half years that they can't get their act together and they can't repeal and replace Obamacare. I know there's a last ditch effort by Lindsey Graham and some others, but I think the president, probably knowing him, the consummate negotiator, is sending a loud, clear message. If you can't get these things done, I'm going to have to try whatever methods I need to try to get it done. And now Mitch McConnell, as I said yesterday on the program, is saying, well, we may not get the tax issues done and the cuts done until sometime in 2018. Well, that doesn't help the forgotten men and women in poverty and on food stamps and out of the labor force. Now, Senator Senator Ted Cruz came out with, I thought, the perfect plan, and it's in sync with everything I've been saying over these many, many years, and in sync with everything that the president is saying, for the most part, with a few exceptions. And Senator Ted Cruz of Texas happens to be one of the exceptions. He was out there saying, fighting night and day, working with the House and the Freedom Caucus. He helped get the House bill passed. And then John McCain, at the last minute, prevented it from happening in the Senate. Uh, Senator Cruz is back with us. Senator, I'm, I'm beyond disgusted at this point with your fellow, many of your fellow senators. Well, Sean, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. I, I understand that frustration and share it. I know people across the country are, are, are fed up that we have given Republicans a, a unique and historic opportunity, control of the White House, of every executive branch, and both houses of Congress. And, and, and we need to get our act together and deliver. And, and uh, you know, when I'm home in Texas, I hear that over and over again. W- why can't you guys actually just do what you said you would do? Uh, th- that's my most consistent message to my colleagues is, is let's deliver. I think the big four that we have on our plate are repealing Obamacare, which is an absolute train wreck, major tax cuts and tax reform, fundamental regulatory reform, and confirming strong constitutionalists to the courts. If we do those four, this could be the most productive Congress in history. But But right now... Other than Neil Gorsuch, we're not getting any of them done. And, and, and we've got to fix that. We've got to step up to the plate and do our job. You know, the president ran on seven brackets to three. He ran on a middle class cut. He ran on a 15 percent corporate rate from the highest in the industrialized world to the lowest. He ran on repatriation at a very low rate. The trillions multinationals park overseas because they don't want to bring it here because it's going to be taxed at at least a 40 percent rate um, and the death tax and a few other things. Can we just do that? I- I'll be happy with that to start. And that's pretty much the plan you put out today. Flat, simple and fair. That's not that hard, Senator. It seems that that's a conservative principle. That's a Reagan tax cut to me. Uh, You're exactly right. We can do it. I think we need to get it done. And I I believe we will get tax reform done. I I think Republicans understand that that, that if – if we blow this to the voters are will be so fed up and we if we miss this opportunity shame on us and and tax reform i think every republican wants to see it done you know today as you noted i, I gave a uh, an address to the tax foundation laying out some principles that i think should govern it uh, a low flat rate a postcard. You know, everyone ought to be able to fill out their taxes on a postcard. There is power to bold simplicity. And, and, and that's what I've been urging the president and the administration and the Senate is let's focus on jobs and economic growth. 
And, and let me tell you one of the most potent tools for jobs and economic growth and tax reform, this, is, this was a big, big part of my speech today, is immediate expensing. What does that mean? That means if you're a farmer and you buy a new tractor, you can immediately deduct that against your taxes. It means if you're a steel worker, an auto worker, that means a, a new factory can immediately deduct the cost of that factory. Um, if, if you're a truck driver, uh, it helps you get a new truck. If you're a taxi driver, it helps you get a new taxi or a new Uber car. That produces millions of jobs. It raises wages. It's incredibly pro-growth. And, and what I'm encouraging people, let's focus on Main Street, on jobs, on working class, on the men and women with calluses on their hands. There's a reason that President Trump won Wisconsin and yes. won Michigan and won Pennsylvania and won Ohio. Let's just start in those four states. Absolutely. And that's because under Obama, they added 13 million more Americans to the food stamp rolls. Under Obama, 8 million more Americans went in poverty. Lowest labor participation rate since the 1970s and the lowest home ownership rate in 51 years. I would argue all of those things, it, it, by the way, they have nothing to do with all of Hillary's excuses, Senator. I don't understand for the life of me. And you have been you, you're right. Just keep your promises. What do your colleagues say? Is there not any level of embarrassment after not being able to get Obamacare done? I'd be embarrassed. Uh, well, there, there should be a lot of embarrassment. But, but let me say on Obamacare, I, I don't believe we're done. I, I think failure is not an option. What I have told Mitch McConnell, what I've told leadership, what I've told my colleagues, we cannot give up on this. We've got to get it done. This is the central promise Republicans have made for seven years. If you elect us, we will repeal Obamacare. If we fail to get it done, I think we look like laughingstocks. And, and millions of people get hurt. And, and what I have been – I think we're closer than many observers think. I think we probably have 45, 46 votes for Obamacare repeal. Now, we're not at 50, but I think we can get there. And, Sean, the way to get there on repealing Obamacare is to focus on lowering premiums. The biggest reason people can't stand Obamacare is it's made premiums skyrocket and they can't afford health insurance. And we lower premiums through having more choices, more competition, more options, putting you, the consumer, in charge of your health care. All right, Senator. I, what do you think? Instinctively, I know that we think alike on a lot of issues, and I know that probably the idea that Lindsey Graham has put forward. Now, the devil's going to be in the details. Sure. And I had Mark Meadows on the program yesterday and Dave Brat on yesterday, and, and they're saying, yeah, in principle, as conservatives, we'd love the idea. Let states decide. Let them, if they want Obamacare, they can keep their Obamacare. They can keep their plan. They can keep their no doctors, and they can keep their no competition. And if California wants to do that, good for California. And if New York York, where I live, unfortunately, they want to do it. I'm stuck. But if other states want more viable alternatives like health savings accounts, and yep. if they believe in these cooperatives, like my buddy down in in Wichita, Kansas, Dr. Josh Umber of Atlas MD, I'd rather go with the modern solution to medical problems. Well, I I, I think that that. Lindsey Graham's proposal could could well be part of the solution, and and if it brings some of the more moderate members on board, that's a good thing. We've got to get to fifty. Um, what I and as you know, I'm a passionate believer in federalism, sending things to the states, letting the states decide. Even if they want to do knuckleheaded things like California and New York, the states should be able to do knuckleheaded things. But but give the states the freedom. And I think the key though is giving the consumer the freedom. It's 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 why two 
two of the provisions that I've introduced that, that are included in the current Senate bill mm-hmm. are, number one, allowing people to pay health insurance premiums from health savings accounts. You just mentioned health savings accounts. Very important. The reason that matters so much is health savings accounts, you're paying pre-tax, which means for millions of Americans, it's an immediate reduction in your effective premiums of 20 to 30 percent. That's a big deal. Uh, but number two is the Consumer Freedom Amendment, which I introduced. It's in the current draft of the Senate bill. puts you, the consumer, in charge of your health care, says you should choose what health insurance you want for your family, not what the federal government mandates. HHS, the Health and Human Services Administration, scored the Consumer Freedom Amendment. They concluded that it would increase insurance coverage by 2.2 million people, and it would decrease premiums by over $7,000 a year. That's a lot of money. If yep. you're struggling, seven grand a year, we got to get it done. Senator, I, look, I um, I proudly endorse you for your upcoming Senate race in 2018. I know you're going to win. I know the people of Texas uh, understand that you're out there fighting to keep your promises. Um, I actually think the next 14 weeks are going to be very, it's going to be very indicative in, in terms of what the Republicans' fate in 2018 yep. is going to be. And I remember you took a lot of heat and I supported you when you went out there and you, you did your filibuster and they said, oh, Ted Cruz is going to cost us the election. Well, you ended up winning the Senate in 2014. You did that in 2013 and you were standing yep. on the principle of, OK, we promised to repeal and replace. We have the power of the purse. Let's use it. They should have done it then. Then wasn't that a good indication they, that there are about 100 Republicans in the House that had no intention of ever keeping that promise? You have colleagues in the Senate, Republicans that had no intention of ever keeping that promise. Look at the 2015 vote just to repeal it. And the very same people that voted for it said no. Look, it, it, it is maddening when you have politicians who campaign promising to repeal Obamacare, and then they're scared to actually stand up and repeal Obamacare. When it matters. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, look, I, I think, unfortunately, there are too many who are complacent, who think the election will be fine regardless. I think we hold our own fate in our hand. If, if we can deliver, if we can repeal Obamacare, lower premiums, cut taxes, create millions of jobs, 2018 could be a fantastic election. And ama- how many Senate? seats could you potentially win? Seven? We could easily win five, six, seven. We could win as many as eight or nine and get to 60. That would take a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. But there are 10 Democratic senators running for re-elections in states that Donald Trump won. You could win. You could roll the... You could win. 62 Republicans. Senator, Uh, it is probably the most frustrating thing I think I've ever dealt with in my life. And I know so many of people that listen to this program, like you, they fought. They fought hard. Yep. And they, they wanted the Senate in Republican hands. They wanted the House in Republican hands. They they fought hard in November. You fought hard in November. And if anybody had a right to be angry at Donald Trump, it was you. You get along famously with him now. Look, and, we got a job to do. Exactly. He's the president, and we have a unique and historic opportunity. And as I told him the, the, the week after the election, I want to do everything I can to help lead the fight for us to deliver on our promises and, and get the job done. And that's what I've been trying to do night and day every day since. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back more with Senator Ted Cruz of Texas as we continue. 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, as we continue with Senator Ted Cruz of Texas here on the Sean Hannity Show. You know, Senator, I just think that there is, this is a moment of truth. What are your discussions like with Mitch McConnell? Like, for example, I'm looking at one page, and it's on your website, and it's flat, simple, fair, seven priorities for tax relief, create a low flat tax rate, file on a postcard, allow full and immediate expensing, lower the corporate tax rate, 
encourage repatriation and the death tax and the alternative minimum tax. Not that complicated, Senator. What, what are they telling you in leadership? Well, look, I think leadership wants to get it done. They want whatever gets 50 votes, and, and, and that's important. Um, I think it is almost as hard to do a piddly little tax bill as it is to do something really meaningful and significant. And so one of the big things I'm urging is let's not just do tax reform. Let's do a real tax cut. Let's cut taxes on small businesses, cut taxes on families, cut taxes on people who are struggling so that we can see the kind of booming economic growth we saw under Ronald Reagan. That, that, that's, that's how we get the kind of landslide election you and I were talking about in 2018. On the flip side, if we screw this up, if we don't repeal Obamacare, we don't get tax reform, we could see a Nancy Pelosi and a Chuck Schumer Congress. Um, it, it, I think we hold our fate in our hands, and the key to winning is actually delivering on our promise. Do you have confidence that the rest of your caucus in the Senate understands that very threat? Uh, some do, some don't. Uh, so confidence would, would be a bit strong. I have hope. Uh, and I think it's important that folks keep hearing from their constituents. It, it's certainly a case I'm trying to make, and, and I'm sitting down every day with, with senators, with House members, with the president, with the administration, trying to just bring everyone together and say, look, we got a job to do. This is not the time to talk about it. This is the time to do it, to deliver real results. Yeah. Senator, I, I applaud what you're doing. Um, is it a possibility? I want to go back to the Lindsey Graham question. Is it possible a possible solution in the House and Senate on allowing states to decide if, again, the devil in the details, but when Mark Meadows and Dave Bratt say they're interested in the idea and they think it sure. could work, what are your thoughts? I, look, I think state flexibility is incredibly powerful, and it's an easy way to unite disparate factions in the Republican conference, that, that if you let a, a, a more li liberal gov governor like a John Kasich in Ohio, if he wants to spend more money, fine, knock himself out. And if a more conservative governor like a Greg Abbott in Texas wants to have policies that reduce regulations and give consumers more freedom and more choices, great, knock himself out. That's a way to bring everyone yeah. together. Last question. We all watched with the horror of everything that happened in Houston and, and obviously yeah. to the east coast of Texas. Um, I, I know know that the governor was amazing. The lieutenant governor was amazing. You were amazing. I think everybody, the, the federal government was amazing. Everybody but the Houston mayor seemed to understand it. And now now it's crunch time. And now we've got to deliver. Are you confident that everything the people of Texas need is going to happen and going to get done? Well, let me say over the past several weeks with the ravages of Hurricane Harvey, uh, Texas was hit hard. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. I, I have been up and down the Gulf Coast from Corpus to Victoria to Rockport to Port Aransas to Aransas Pass to, to Houston to Meyerland to Bel Air to Kingwood to Beaumont to, to Port Arthur to Orange. I mean, we have 250 miles of just devastation. Uh, and in the face of death and disaster, I think we saw the very best of Texas. I think Texas came together, I we stood united, yep. and, and we saw heroism. We saw ordinary men and women, as I put it, rednecks in bass boats, <laughs> rescuing their neighbors. And, and that, that is Texas at its finest. You know what? We did see the best out of Texas. And uh, But with that said, you know what? we got to stand up for our friends and neighbors in uh, the Lone Star State. Senator, thanks for your fight. Times are also certainly with those affected by Irma as well on the East Coast. We've yeah. had two devastating hurricanes, and we're standing together to help everyone affected by that. All right, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. Thank you, Senator. 800-941-SHAWN, our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. 
them accountable. Sean gets the answers no one else does. America deserves to know the truth about Congress. What do you make of the deal with uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's IT's advisor's wife now ready to deal? Well, Lou, I don't want to talk out of school here, but Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see some revelations that are going to be pretty profound. And the fact that this wife is coming back from Pakistan and is willing to to face charges, as it were, I think there's a good chance that she's going to receive some type of immunity to tell a large story here that's going to be pretty disturbing to the American people. And it's it's always you know ironic to me that when you see these kinds of things happen, where you have someone that has nefarious or certainly not the best interests of America within the IT system of the United States Congress, and they're on they're being paid by a member of Congress, uh, it's really pretty, mm-hmm. pretty frightening. I mean, it's... And the it's former head a, of the Democratic National Committee, we might point well, out, who, who yeah, was forced a, out in disgrace. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I'm always amazed, you know, how how the, the, the Democrats can talk about Russia so much. They couldn't find Russia on a map uh, 20 years ago, and uh, they didn't see them didn't see the Soviets as even much of a threat to the world when they were our, our primary right. peer enemy. And yet, when all of a sudden that they see something that they might try to, to discredit this president with, then all of a sudden they find their tongue and find Russia. And it's interesting how long it's taken to bring to ground these two people who obviously yes. were... Their conduct uh, appears every bit criminal and every bit even treasonous, and certainly the complicity of an elected member of Congress uh, makes it all the more troubling and and fascinating to follow, which we all will be doing. I'm sure the media will have a perfectly reasonable answer for everything that happened, but the truth is, I think, uh, I I will just predict that this is going to be a very significant story and people should fasten their seatbelts on this one. Under my understanding, the Capitol Police is not able to confiscate members' equipment when the member is not under investigation. It is their equipment, and it's supposed to be returned. Well, I think there's extenuating circumstances in this case, and I think I think that you know, working through my counsel and you know the necessary personnel, if if that in fact is the case, and with the permission of through the investigation, and we'll return the equipment. But until that's accomplished, I can't return the equipment. I think you're violating the rules when you when you conduct your business that way and should expect that there would be consequences. Well, he's not my staffer. I, he no longer works for me, and when he was arrested, I terminated him. I kept him on the payroll during the time that he was not arrested and not charged with anything, and that was because, as I said, that I was concerned about the violation of his due process rights and also that there were racial and ethnic profiling concerns as well. I have maintained uh, that... It was important and will continue to maintain that when someone's due process rights are are potentially being violated, that I'm going to stand up and make sure that, uh, that, that people's rights are protected in this country. That's the oath that I swore to uphold when I swore to uphold the Constitution. And when he was arrested and due process was established, then I terminated him. All right, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 24 now till the top of the hour. Toll free, our number is 800-941-SEAN. Very, very bizarre, odd happenings as it relates to this entire IT matter. I mean, question one, why did she keep on board this IT guy, Imran Awan, when in fact they had caught him for double billing and other congressmen and had let the guy go? Why did this guy have members of his family? 
people that worked at McDonald's. One guy was fired from McDonald's, seemingly no background experience in IT. Why was he on the payroll? Why was it the highest possible salary, the equivalent in Washington, uh, D.C., of what chiefs of staffs are making on Capitol Hill? In other words, the highest number possible. And then other people that worked at car dealerships. Nothing wrong with people that work at McDonald's or car dealerships at all. But do you have IT experience? And if you work at a McDonald's and you work at a car dealership and you have IT experience, why weren't you working in IT? So a ton of issues have arisen here. Now we find out that the wife of this IT staffer, Imran Awan, that struck a deal with federal prosecutors returning to the U.S., And now, if you're really following it closely, you know, the story broke by Luke Rosiak last week, and it appears Imran Awan put a note to law enforcement and Debbie Wasserman Schultz's laptop in a place where they would find it. And they did find it. Now the question is, what's on it? And now the next question is, was, well, why were the government hard drives busted up in this guy's garage? What is what are they trying to hide here? Congressman Trent Franks joins us now, and he's predicting that. Awan and the Awans will get immunity for significant disturbing stories they're going to tell about Debbie Wasserman Schultz. What's going on, uh, Congressman Trent Franks? How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Sean. I hope you are. You know, it's always a challenge to come on your program because uh, you are have gotten where you are because you're very uh, effective at not only understanding but articulating some of the relevant questions, and you've just done that. So you've essentially stolen anything I had to say to your program. All right, well, but thanks I, for I being with us. Nice talking to you. Anyway. Yeah, no, yes, but, but this is important. You're saying a lot more. Go ahead. Bring us up to speed. Well, I mean, you know, it's important sometimes just to, to restate the, the basic facts. Uh, there, there's a, a, this team of what appears to me to be sort of rogue staffers that includes Imran Awan, uh, his two brothers, uh, Imran's uh, brother's wife, and Imran's wife, and also Imran's best friend, uh, Raul Abbas. And uh, even though, as you said, uh, the previous job that Abbas had was being fired from McDonald's, but they together – collected $4 million in salary, and uh, they didn't seem to display any kind of wealth, and wonders, you know, one wonders where the money actually went, uh, whether that was overseas uh, to assets in Pakistan or, or somewhere else. And uh, many of them, uh, additionally, you know, they just didn't seem to show up to work most of the time. So they, they just seems, you know, and, and I think it's, uh, it's telling that Imran Awan and his two brothers took around $100,000 from a, an Iraqi politician, Dr. Uh, Al-Attar, uh, and this gentleman has been linked uh, directly to Hezbollah and was even called a fugitive by federal prosecutors. So I, I just think that there's a lot of connections here. Perhaps one of the most um, curious things for me is Imran Awan had access to the DNC emails. You know, you've probably heard something about DNC emails over the last year or two. Um, and he had a password to uh, Debbie Washington Salt's iPad. And uh, right at about the time that uh, these emails would have been given to WikiLeaks. So I, when, you, when you talk about all of the manufactured uh, conspiracies that the Democrats have thrown at uh, uh, the president, one really wonders how they get away with uh, uh, avoiding the attention of the, of, the, of the public under these kind of circumstances. Well, I think we have more questions than answers. Certainly, your behavior was beyond bizarre. I mean, I noticed Hillary on our book tour is trying to minimize what was found on the emails, the DNC and Podesta emails, uh, but you can't minimize a lot of the information that came out of there, not the least of which is there was a concerted effort 
to literally steal the nomination away from Bernie Sanders. And there was collusion going on with the DNC and Hillary's campaign. Well, exactly. And, you know, one of the other common um, factors that seems to appear here is that, you know, you found smashed uh, um, uh, smartphones and and, uh, Blackberries with Hillary's uh, campaign. Situation and in the FBI, he smashed hard drives from Emron's home before he's arrested for bank fraud. You know, boarding a plane to Pakistan, and he was liquidating assets. So I'm just suggesting maybe the Democrats they they could really add to this economy if they just start a, a, a hard drive and 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 BlackBerry smashing consulting firm or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, I just think at the end of the day here, when are we going to get this information? Because I think people have a right to know and. Uh, You know, I mean, there's so much Democratic corruption. Do you see that this maybe goes further? Here's what I don't understand, Congressman. If if I had subpoenaed emails and I deleted them and then I acid washed and bleach bit the hard drives and then I busted up my BlackBerry and my iPhones. And if I did hand anything over to the FBI, I didn't have a SIM card. And then in the case of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, again, we got busted up government hard drives again. And of course, she's fighting and being arrogant. And and battling with law enforcement over this laptop computer in a way that seemed odd and strange. And we know what was on WikiLeaks. Is there any way you tie all this together or are they just coincidences? No, I don't think they are coincidences. Uh, I think that, you know, I've said to you and, and I have to put it in the in the form of a, just a considered opinion, um, uh, Sean, but I believe that there will be more to this story and that it will be pretty significant at some point. Uh, the challenge, of course, is... Do you, you think or do you really know? Because I think that's an important distinction. Sean, I, you know, I'm always a pretty straightforward guy. Um, when, I talk, when I say I know something, then I really have to know personally, and I don't know. And, uh, but I, I have reason to, to suspect that there will be more come from this and only time will will uh, tell one way or the other whether I'm correct. You know, it just seems very extremely strange and odd. Is is the FBI, do they have the capability of taking a busted up hard drive like we're talking about and putting it back together and gleaning the information that was on there that they didn't want anyone to see? Well, it, it, it depends entirely on exactly what kind of damage was done. I mean, I'm familiar with that, and I will say to you that uh, a smashing uh, a BlackBerry or hard drive effectively from ever getting the data, and they knew that. And if that's not obstruction of justice, if especially in these circumstances, then I don't know what you'd have. Do they have to say I'm obstructing justice in a, in an affidavit and sign it in order to be, uh, you know, considered possibly obstructing justice? So this, this is, there's no doubt in my mind here that uh, they are obstructing justice by, by smashing these uh, hard, hard drives and, and hardware like that because it, the, this was something where there was a legitimate investigation, and they made sure that that didn't happen. They were inst- obstructing investigation, even if this was just stories about their, their childhood. You know, the, the, the notion that they did this damage to that in the process of the investigation was obstruction of justice, in my, in my con- con- sincere opinion. All right, Congressman, thanks for being with us. We really do appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Always, Sean. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. Hey, quick break. Right back. Your calls are next. 
I was thinking, this country did elect an African-American president twice. Do you think it's harder for Americans to elect a woman than it is an African-American man? I think there's a lot of evidence, a lot of research supporting uh, the uh, idea that race is a much more motivating factor for voters than gender is. And, you know, I write in the book about an incredible conversation I had with Sheryl Sandberg, who has done so much work to really untangle what it is, what, you know, what's like realistic in terms of, okay, what you have to do to be successful and what is tinged, if not affected by sexism. And she says, look, the research is absolutely clear. The more professionally successful a man becomes, the more likable he is. The more professionally successful a woman becomes, the less likable she is. And the more a woman is in service for someone else. You know, when I was Secretary of State, I came out of that job with, I think, a 69% approval rating because I was in service to my country. I was in service to our president. I was proud to do it. But when a woman walks into the arena and says, I'm going for this myself, it really does have a dramatic effect on how people perceive. I don't understand why Bernie's presence mm-hmm. prevents you from running that kind of a campaign. Well, what I mean by that is, because we certainly were trying to run that kind of a campaign, is that his claims, which he could not defend, really not even explain when pressed, filled up a lot of space. You know, when I was running against President Obama in 2008, we had differences, but they were, you know, this is my bias, they were honest differences that we presented and we defended. And, you know, whether it was an individual mandate or not in healthcare, each of us was ready to say, here's why or here's why not. That was not possible in this primary campaign. And, you know, I I point out that every time we made a claim on what we were going to do, he would just say, "Okay, I'm going to do more of it. And so the the argument was never adequately joined. And I spent a lot of time, you know, basically defending President Obama in a Democratic primary. Right. I couldn't believe it. Every speech started with, I don't think President Obama gets the credit he deserves for saving the economy, saving the auto industry, getting us on the road to universal health care. And, you know, this is I was running against somebody who publicly advocated President Obama being primaried. Right. So it was difficult to have what I consider to be a fair minded debate about, okay, we have had a successful two-term president, where do we go from here, with somebody who wasn't a Democrat, who criticized both President Obama and me, and it was much more challenging to have a kind of straightforward argument about, okay, health care, what are we going to do about health care? Because he would say, oh, we're going to do, you know, single payer, and I'd say, well, how are you going to do it? And then, well, he wouldn't know. But the claim and the, you know, laying down of the gauntlet on that made it harder. You know, what do we have to say? It wasn't misogyny. It wasn't bias against women. It wasn't Bernie Sanders. We've now are up to 42 excuses. What happened? Trump happened. What happened? You're a bad candidate. What happened? Well, I think you could probably blame Obama for doing such a horrible job as well. Whether or not the media ever covered it, we did. And the American people knew that, well, the economy isn't doing well. We doubled the debt. We have 13 million more on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty, worst recovery since the 40s, and the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. That's why. That's what happened. Now, if Trump can just get Republicans and kick them in the, you know what, get them to work, 
Then he won't have to reach out to the Democrats. <laughs> they so own this. They so deserve everything that's happening right now. Anyway, Hannity tonight, 10 Eastern. When we come back, we'll shoot it out with Geraldo Rivero. I went from, I think, 26 points ahead to 13 points ahead. And I needed about 18 points in order to be sure I could win Pennsylvania. I watched how analysts, who I have a great deal of respect for, like Nate Silver, burrowed into all the data and said, but for that Comey letter, she would have won. So it was very personal to me. I think my general election uh, prospects were so badly damaged because of that, that even though I was starting to come back, it was not enough time to overcome it. But even though that was the primary um, blow to my campaign at the very end, um, it has to be looked at in context with the Russians weaponizing information, negative stories about me, this whole WikiLeaks beginning to leak in early October of John Podesta's emails, which if you've read them all, uh, they're pretty anodyne, but they were taken out of context. The stories were made up about them. We now know Facebook was taking money from Russian companies to run negative stories about me. If, if you look at all of this, yes, it affected me and my campaign. But I am more concerned now going forward that we haven't come to grips with what it means for future elections. I would also add that the voter suppression that we now know had been in the works and really put into effect in a lot of states like Wisconsin, North Carolina, et cetera, played a role. And then let's not forget sexism and misogyny, which are endemic to our society. And certainly, as I write in my chapter called on being a woman in politics, um, have to be factored in. They don't have to buy my book and they can turn off the radio when they hear me talking. <laughs> not going anywhere. I have the experience. I have the insight. I have the scars uh, that I think, uh, you know, give me not only the right, but the responsibility to speak out. I knew from experience that if I ran for president again, everything Bill and I had ever touched would be subject to scrutiny and attack, including the foundation. That was a concern, but I never imagined that this widely respected global charity would be as savagely smeared and attacked as it was. During the campaign, there was twice as much written about the Clinton Foundation as there was on any of the Trump scandals. All right, news roundup and information overload hour here on the Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN. We now have counted, you know, Hillary's blame game, 42 specific excuses, sexism, racism, misogyny, xenophobia, suburban women, Comey, FBI, Russians, Putin, WikiLeaks, DNC, Obama, Biden, Bernie Sanders, Anthony Weiner, Electoral College, polling data, cable news, the New York Times, fake news, bots, Facebook, Twitter, Netflix, TV executives, anti-American forces, Democratic documentaries, Low information voters were too dumb. People wanting change. People who'd assume she'd win. The Republican Party. Uh, content farms in Macedonia. Infowars. Guccifer. DC leaks. Jill Stein. Bannon. Voter ID laws. John Roberts. Uh, Chris Kobach. Uh, Citizens United. And colluding with Trump officials. Geraldo Rivera is with us. I mean, come on. It, it, it's, it, who got more more harsh treatment, her or or Donald Trump in that campaign? It was Trump by far. I think the former senator, secretary of state, and first lady left out the number one reason she lost. <laughs> I have number one and number two, but I, I sometimes mix, mix them up. 
Yeah. Uh, number one is uh, one, number one or two you you, t- you pick is either the fact you ran a lousy campaign in areas where normally Democrats perform much better. Number two, much more saucy, is you. I think <laughs> you were the most effective. You were the weaponized commentator that she was speaking of. You you uh, uh, aggregated the way Drudge aggregates. You aggregated all of the things that you mentioned, and you used them in a way that reduced her to a caricature. Now, I, it was so... Uh, effective because she is not a very likable person. I don't know if she she listed that. And as she really you went isn't after her, likable. as you listed, yeah. as, as you with your enormous power and and your very receptive audience and your your credibility, you have. I the reason I call you the second most powerful person in the country, Sean, is not because oh, I'm I one of your that. best friends. I love you, but that's not why I I, I am a cold eyed analyst when it comes to political reality. And I, I say again that you're the second most powerful person in the country, that you you put your your words are like sabers that that uh, that that make a, a physical weapon out of your political philosophy. All right. My, my, do you want we're friends? Do you really I don't want to get my head big here, but I'm going to tell you this, because I know Everything that Geraldo that I've advocated all these years, we're, we're now heading into a debate over, you know, middle class tax cuts, seven brackets to three or maybe less postcard returns. We had Ted Cruz on earlier today um, reforming the tax code, repatriation of trillions of multinationals at a low rate and given corporate taxes and energy independence and, and building the wall and identifying evil. Geraldo, you've known me all these years. This is who I am, what I believe. There's no secret about who I am. Just like you know the urgency that comes when that light comes on radio or TV because you've done them your whole life. And it's the same. Where is the urgency to help the people that mattered in this election, the forgotten men and women? Where are? Where is that urgency? Let me just tell the folks listening an anecdote. I have sat beside you. Uh, before the Republicans chose Donald Trump as the candidate, I sat beside you as uh, uh, Ted Cruz is, Senator Cruz is on the phone. Okay, you talk to Senator Cruz, hang up. Uh, Donald Trump's on the phone. Okay, you talk to Donald Trump there. Uh, the uh, This other candidate, uh, Jeb's reaching out, or this one's trying to get to you. And it, it was fascinating to watch how all of these, the, the confluence of all of these forces coming to your uh, your little desk there, uh, at Fox News on the uh, on the 12th floor, it it is it was remarkable to see. And you know the the thing about it is there is such logic in so many Republican positions. I want to get to the Freedom Caucus in a minute, but there is so much logic. But heretofore, the people promoting uh, the like Mitt Romney. Let's look at Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney said the Russians were the most dangerous. Uh, enemy in the foreign stage. Right. Obama mocked him and everybody mocked him. And it, it turned out to be true. Mitt Romney turned out to be absolutely correct. See, you could say it in a much more effective way. If you say the Russians are the biggest enemy, then the people believe you. I think that, you know, maybe after uh, after you rake in a, a couple of billion, you'll uh, run for office. Yes, great. You're going to be my running mate then, because if I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer with me. <laughs> There's no way that, you know, but here is where we do agree. And this is what frustrates me so much, because Republicans, I, I know you are a registered Republican, but we, we do disagree on a number of issues. Immigration probably over the years has been the biggest one. But here's here's the point. 
there really are suffering Americans and Republicans asked for everything and they got everything and they can't get their act together. And the fact that they didn't have a plan for the debt ceiling and they knew they would be facing this first thing to me is unforgivable. And I went on the air last night and I'm like, Mitch McConnell, get out. If you can't do your job, get out of the way. And if you can't organize and and literally create a coalition of your team that is inspiring, that's actually designed to help people, then what's the point of winning an election? What's the point of even running except if it's your own ego and grandeur and stature and position at that point? That's so true. But you have you have you have faced this reality in, in our Republican Party. I don't even know if you're a registered Republican. No, but conservative. The but it's same. OK, you know. the, the Republicans face this this reality. There is there are there's two kinds of Republicans. There are the traditional McConnell, Ryan, uh, et cetera, Romney Republicans, the old old school George H.W. Bush kind of uh, they give they tip the hat to Reagan, but they're really George H.W. Bush uh, kind of legislators. They like to legislate from the middle. Then you get the Freedom Caucus, which is the hard right wing. The hard right wing deserted President Trump during Obamacare. No, they did. They saved Obamacare. They they saved the bill in the House. And I know because I was on the phone with all of them. I was on those conversations. Where was the bill? My point is, where was the establishment bill that they said they were going to repeal Obamacare and replace? But here's the the, answer. Where was the replacement? There were it ended up that there were 100 Republicans that went out on the campaign trail, lied to all of their constituents, said they were going to repeal and replace Obamacare had no intention of doing it when it mattered. And so and the first bill that came out was the establishment bill that didn't do that. And the conservatives and by the way, I think they're the only people we can trust were the people in the Freedom Caucus then facing the reality that 100 of their fellow Republicans had no intention of keeping their word. Then they literally spent hour after hour after hour threading the needle to make sure that it was a better deal with lower premiums and a good start to begin the process of undoing the mess, which we now know as Obamacare. It was literally Mark Meadows that pushed this over the top himself personally. But unless you focus here, here's here's the thing. We have to choose. You and I have to choose. Do you want the conservatives to prevail or do you want President Donald Trump to prevail? I want the 45th president. I want the country to, to prevail. Be successful. So I want the president I mean, and when the and president I want succeeds the country succeeds. Now, now, does that mean what if and here's the dilemma. What happens when Trump is not in line with the conservatives? What happens when Trump talks to Schumer and Pelosi? As, as long as he today? doesn't betray his promises. The way the Republicans let let me tell you what I believe, because this is a great question you're raising and I think an important one. Reagan went from 70 to 28 percent in terms of his tax cuts throughout his presidency. And then he had he had tax reform in 86, the last time we've had it. Reagan, by cutting taxes, stimulating the economy, the very same principles Donald Trump ran on and is now pushing. If those policies are implemented, Reagan doubled revenues to the government and created 20 million new jobs. And that's why we admire him so much. Those conservative principles that Reagan pushed through were good for the millions of Americans that needed jobs, needed a revitalization of the economy. We had quarters of growth that were six, seven, eight percent, Geraldo, 
and we could do it again. And I believe those I, principles I work. I want the I principles in place. My accountants, when the Reagan tax cuts came down, and I saw the difference in my my take home pay compared to what it was before the tax cuts, I said to my accountant, "Did somebody make a mistake? Look at this. I got them taking home so much more money." And they and the, my accountant uh, at the time, Dan Pepper, says to me, "No, no, that's the law. Now you uh, that's that's." Uh, you know that you get to keep that. And I remember how happy I was, and I went out and I spent. And the hey, uh, let me guess, you bought a boat. <laughs> you, you bought a boat. You bought more I, I property. A helicopter. <laughs> All right. So the so the helicopter manufacturers, the workers in the factories, they kept working because there was money I, that Geraldo had to buy a helicopter. But but, right. but let's say let's say in the tax cut, Schumer and Pelosi say to President Trump, you know something? We want a middle class tax cut, not an upper class or rich people's tax cut. We're only going to go for a tax cut that uh, you know. You can simplify it, but the Geraldo, top rate if we, has to be more. I have to break, but if we, if we don't have corporate cuts and we don't have multinational repatriation and we don't have energy independence, then those corporations want to build factories and manufacturing centers. That's good for the 50 million in poverty on food stamps and the 90 plus million out of the labor force. All right, we'll continue with Geraldo. Other side. Important discussion. 800-941-SEAN, our number. We'll get to your calls. All right, God forbid, and I mean this, dead of night, you wake up, glass shattering in your house, someone's there, next thing you do, you're running into your kid's room, you see somebody out there, you have to reach for your firearm, you take it out of your gun safe, and all of a sudden, you have a choice. Either you're going to die, or these burglars are going to die. Now, let's say your training kicks in, you protect your family, what happens next? The police arrive, they're not going to be saying, oh, you're a hero, they'll probably put you in handcuffs. And you'll be questioned and maybe arrested. God forbid this ever happens. You need to know exactly what to do, what to say, what not to do, what not to say. And that's where our friends at Defend Family come in. Go there right now. The USCCA is offering all of you a free guide. No obligation at all. Absolutely free. The six things you didn't know would happen if, God forbid, you have to be part of a self-defense incident. All right, just go to DefendFamily.com and protect yourself with knowledge and information. We'll continue with Geraldo and your calls on the other side. Straight ahead. So, Geraldo, what, what Reagan did is by cutting taxes, we cut corporate taxes. Remember, corporations don't even pay taxes. They pass it on to the consumer. If you cut that rate from one of the highest in the industrialized world to the lowest, if you allow repatriation of trillions and trillions of dollars at a low rate, those multinationals, they're going to bring that money into the country. They're not going to put it in a bank. They want to invest, and they're going to invest here, and they'll invest in factories, manufacturing centers. That means jobs for Michigan. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, North Carolina, you know, and every other state in this union that needs them desperately. Two quick points. One, I think Hillary Clinton lost the election when she uh, told the West Virginia coal miners that they, they they had to find another job. They were going to be phased out. It was so insensitive. She was such a blockhead about it. The second yeah. thing I want to say about corp- corporations and corporate tax, there has never been a president more effective at shaming evildoers or, or wrongdoers than President Trump. He, he latches onto a target. And he's like a pit bull. He doesn't let that person or institution or state or whatever it is go until he, he has totally shamed them. 
there are two kinds of corporations. There's the corporation that invests in research and development and expands and uses its profit to grow and drive the engine of the American enterprise. And there's the corporation that even with repatriated dollars, redistributes the money to the stockholders, pays off a big fat dividend and doesn't invest in R&D or employment. I would like Donald Trump to start shaming the corporations that are greedily well, hoarding doing that. money here or there. Well, we, but, applaud the corporations that are expanding. New he's been doing that, too. I would love that's that's the guy. But you know what? But but Carl, and I got to run here. But fundamentally, I'm just going to say this. Corporations, they're in business to make money. The way they make money is to invest. If America becomes now that he's gotten rid of so many burdensome Obama era regulations that are killing and choking off the ability of people to do business. And you add to that the, the cuts that makes it, it incentivizes them to do it. It happened in Ireland. It happened on the Reagan. It happened on the Kennedy. It'll happen again. And the idea that they're going to park their money in a bank or just be offering dividends, I think, does not pass the the litmus test of what has happened historically. And I'm telling you, those corporations, we got all the labor they want. It sounds like um, Jimmy Stewart, A Wonderful Life. All the labor you want, all the workers you'll need, they're in Ohio. We've got 50 million Americans in poverty and on food stamps. They want to work. You give them that ladder to success. There's no telling how much this economy can grow. Last word. I just want the president to be our not only our consoler in chief when we have a tragedy like uh, Irma and Harvey. I also want him to continue to be our cheerleader in chief. And I applaud the fact that uh, the average income of the American family is up 3 percent year to date. All right, Geraldo. Thank you. 800-941-SEAN. Your call's coming up next. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. I don't know if you saw the story about Jamil Hill, who is, I guess, the newest face of an ESPN controversy. I mean, when I watch SportsCenter or I watch any of the shows on ESPN, the reason I like my uh, my buddy Stephen A. Smith so much is because Stephen A. is controversial, and he says stuff that gets on, he just irritates me. And then sometimes I'll be writing him as he's saying it, and then he double, doubles down harder. I like strong opinion. Obviously, I make my my living with strong opinion. Anyway, she's a Sports Center co-host. She was on a, a Twitter rant the other night against President Trump, including calling him a white supremacist. And he said, quote, his rise is a direct result of white supremacy, period. He's unqualified, unfit to be president. He's not a leader. And if he were not white, he would never have been elected. And then Donald Trump is a white supremacist who largely surrounded himself with other white supremacists. The tirade goes on. The height of white privilege is being able to ignore his white supremacy because it's of no threat to you. Well, it's a threat to me. Anyway, she's the co-host of the well, one of their primetime hours, 6 p.m. broadcast of SportsCenter, at, also known as The Six, and wound up firing off more than a dozen tweets like this. And it began in response to a news story about Kid Rock, who's considering a Senate run next year in Michigan. And the article accused the media of calling the Confederate flag-toting musician, quote, a racist, despite his previous claims that he loves everybody. Anyway, joining us now is Kurt Schilling is with us. And uh, Kurt, former... Uh, Major League Baseball pitcher, one of the best in the league, and uh, has been a longtime uh, friend of the program, and you recently got fired, didn't you? <laughs> well, 
this is fun. This is fun to watch from the outside. I'm so tired of, of listening to, to, to the rhetoric of these phonies and these liars and uh, uh, supposedly educated people make statements that are just the height of ignorance. Look, I, I know now you're with Breitbart.com. You're the host of Whatever It Takes, which is great. You're on 9 to 11 every weekday, and I hear you're doing really, really well. And I also Love know it. that, you know, like you've always done your entire career, you're extraordinarily kind and generous. You've been volunteering in Southwest Florida, and you have a charity called Operation Bullpen. And, you know, like you, uh, I'm outraged over the comments. And when I think of all the different firings that have happened over at ESPN over the years, including yours, and I'm thinking, okay, why didn't she get fired? Let's be very clear about something. Jamil Hill has always been a racist. The things that she says, the things that she does. I don't have a problem with the fact that Jamil Hill is racist, that Bomani Jones is racist, and Colin Kaepernick knelt for a lie, and that Disney and, and ESPN, who they own, support liberal racism. I have a problem with them lying about it and, and, and acting as if it's not true. I can think of 100,000 people I met during my career that are smarter about sports than Jamil Hill. And, and here's the thing. I don't, it doesn't bother me, again, that she's on. What bothers me is that they pretend she's something she isn't. And, but but and you I, know what, know Kurt, bothers me about this? It, this is a false, phony, fraudulent lie narrative. And, and it's not just Miss Hill that does this. It's, it's the Democratic Party. Every single solitary election year, their narrative is conservatives and Republicans. And now the latest the, the, the latest narrative has been about the president, that they're racist, they're sexist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. And that's it. They, they, I mean, Hillary's on her excuse tour now and blaming all of that and 42 other things. And I don't like it as a conservative that loves all people, that's a Christian that loves God, that believes all people are created equal by God, that things like this can be said and believed and then yeah you're right in this case and by the way i'm not advocating for her to get fired i just am advocating not to have a double standard no we don't care here's the thing sean the left let me ask you a question sean you remember the the representative scalise being shot at the at the republican softball practice of course what was what was the first three words you heard about the brave officer that shot the shooter black female lesbian None of those three things had anything to do with anything that happened. An American hero. She was an American hero and risked her life. Sean, the left is the party of identity politics. Everything they do and say is based on your race, your religion, your sexual... Let's be very clear about something. I was fired because I compared Islamic extremists to Nazis, which factually is true. I was fired because I said that men should use the men's room to go to the bathroom, something I was taught when I grew up. I don't need the government to tell me those things. What do the people at ESPN has been fired for? Conservative opinions. And let me go back to this. Our Constitution and capitalism allows you to do and say things that are reprehensible. David Duke is a white supremacist. David Duke is also a man running a group that President Trump has denounced in, in the last, since 1990. 27 years, he has openly distanced himself, openly told people how despi- despicable David Duke and white supremacists is. And, and, and Sean, you've been in the real world long enough to know this. White supremacists have no problem telling you who they are. They hate minorities. But by the way, I mean, any single conservative I know, Kurt, hates these people. They despise these people. Those people are dumb. They're ignorant. They're they're not. I I don't know any thoughtful, conservative, prominent, conservative Republican voice in the country that thinks anything other than the most ignorant people on earth. Here's the here's the problem. And Dinesh D'Souza's book, The Big Life, explains it to people in a very clear fashion. It is factually 
uh, uh, 100% true that the left has always been the party of racism and always been the party of intolerance. They've just managed to manipulate the media. By the way, if you look at our country, the biggest megaphones in this country are what? They're the media and Hollywood. Those two things are so openly and liberal, it's embarrassing. I got to tell you something, John. I spent last week in, in Texas uh, at the behest of, of amazing people making contributions to hurricane victims in, in of Harvey. And I, I spent this week in Florida. I, I can tell you a couple things, Sean. I have yet to hear a black man or a black person ask a white person who they voted for be, before they handed them a case of water. I've not heard a black, a white person ask a black person who they vo- voted for. I've not heard anybody ask. See, this is, you know, you're making my was, point. And I made this right. for years. The, the vast majority, and I know people want to go back to Charlottesville, but, you know, everybody that I know looked at those, look at a bunch of ignorant, racist, Nazi jerks and just said, Ugh, you people disgust me. And you're making a point because the 90 plus percent of people in this country understand that we're in this together. You know what? You're right. No, no When I donated money for Texas and Florida, I, I just want my fellow Americans taken care of. They're suffering. They're in trouble. They need help. And we're, we're supposed to be a family and you're supposed hey, to come together. Here's where we're at now. If you turn off your television uh, and you look out your window, you will not see in America the television the news is telling you about. It is a very different place. I've, I've, I've been able to be a, a, a vessel down here. I've, ha- I've been given, Ernie Box Jr. gave me $100,000 to, to hand out to people. I have never asked question one about race, color, sex. I've handed it to black women, black men, Latinos, white men, white women, all of them Americans in need. And here's the problem. We are now at a point, Sean, where, the, the, where, where black America would have you believe that say, saying make America great again makes you a member of the Klan. No, no, no. You're wrong about one thing. It's not black America. There are a few people. You know, you can't sweep with a broad brush because there are so many people out there that that are, are you know, like exactly what I said, the vast majority of people that I know, regardless of their race, creed, color, background, religion, they don't, they're just Americans. They're just people that want the same things in life. They, they were created by the same God. They want a nice home, a good job in a safe neighborhood with good schools and a decent car and enough money to take a vacation and save for the future. That's all that we all want. And for those people that are obsessed with identity, politics, race, and every election year, I see the race card is played against anybody that's conservative. That's not the people I know and associate with, nor would I ever know or associate with. Hold on, Sean, that's why Trump won, because we're tired of the left calling us things we're not. And to be very clear about something, Sean, another, I think, very important point. I have been down, uh, uh, and again, I've been blessed to be in a position to be able to, to help facilitate things that are happening down here. I have yet to see Al Sharpton, a member of Antifa, or Black Lives Matter. Anywhere down here, hey, blacks are suffering down here too. I, I, I'm listening to, to Colin Kaepernick tout Jamil Hill. Colin Kaepernick knelt for a lie. It's a factual. It, the Black Lives Matter movement, hands up, don't shoot, all of that stuff was a lie. I don't know if you remember, CNN, four women behind the desk holding their hands up in the hands up, don't shoot, when it was proven to be a lie. 43 eyewitnesses. Not hands one up, of them. D- hands up, don't shoot, never happened. No, but, but you know what, Sean? Darren Wilson, Officer Darren Wilson, who was serving his country, doing his job, his life was ruined. But wait a minute. But and you no want to know? Do you want to know why he was never indicted? Now, this is an interesting point. 
because the the person that advanced the narrative was the person with Michael Brown that was bullying and robbing that convenience store that we saw on tape and bullying the clerk that worked in that store. And if you if you remember, it was the eyewitnesses, the overwhelming majority that happened to be black Americans that told the 43. truth. Forty three eyewitnesses under oath refuted hands up don't shoot well i think i was probably the only prominent news anchor in the country that told the truth on that story and was right about the story that's why that's why you're you're becoming uh somewhat like the dinosaur sean and i, I say that with all due respect <laughs> you, it's true listen we, I, we but are, i just want the truth kurt what's hard about right. wanting the truth well, and not rushing to judgment it's not that hard because if you Sean, if you tell the truth, the left is, gets destroyed. If the, if, the, if the left, if liberal college students had one iota of, 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 of intelligence about how that party was created, and people say, oh, you can't go back to slavery, you can't go, well, you can because all of those things, we've gone from the Democratic Party of slavery to the Democratic Party of enslavement. They've enslaved a, 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 an entire people with government welfare, just enough to keep your head above water, but not enough for you to swim. And, and I, it blows me away that we can t- listen. Eight years, we 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 had slavery 160 years ago. Eight nine years ago, we elected a black president. Eight years later, after a black president, our first, we were more racially divided than we've ever been in my lifetime. How does well, that work? I, I would argue one of the keys to helping every American is economic success. And Absolutely. if you look. After the Obama years, what do we know? We know 13 million more Americans were on food stamps, 8 million more were in poverty, lowest labor participation rate since the the 70s. Crushed them. Okay, and 51 year low home ownership rate. And if you want, if you don't create an environment where every American has that opportunity because of government regulation, taxation, bureaucracy, and intrusion into lives, then nobody gets a hand up and nobody gets help and they don't get the education they need. And, and, you know, we're wasting all of this great American talent in every community. But you know what? What? I'm, I'm probably more pissed now. At Republicans or, or pseudo Republicans. Oh, I can't I stand them. No, they're the we worst. Have, they have, suck. We ask for a majority. We ask for the Senate. The and House they can't even get repealed done. We have. Well, you know why? Because they suck. Not- <laughs> they do. And, and I, I got to tell you, I, I've said it on my show multiple times, Sean. The answer to almost all of this country's problems are term limits. If you give a, a politician a four to eight year window to make his mark on the country, they stop running for reelection re- and start trying to run to be famous. And to be famous, they want to leave their mark. If they want to leave their mark, they do what they get voted in to do. These gutless, feckless, spineless people who told us they would repeal and replace 68 times during the Obama administration, they did so because they knew nothing was on the line. Let me ask you a question. When you were in in Major League Baseball, and uh, by the way, you haven't lost any of your intensity as a player. I just want to tell you as a commentator, (laughs) I'm sitting here listening to you cracking me up. All right, when you go back to your baseball career, really quick, I don't have a lot of time. Do you, was there any, you were teammates. It didn't matter if you were black, white, Hispanic, or Asian, did it? You were teammates and you were fighting for a championship. The name on the front of the jersey was far more important than the name on the back. Yeah, that's true. Um, All right, well, you must be getting in trouble every day, I can tell on your show. Don't come here when you you open your big mouth and get in trouble. I'm not going to bail you out. Uh, But I will say this, it's really a shame. I just, I hate this phony narrative that describes. It's a lie. I don't like to be lied about. And I counter this narrative. I play all the tapes every election year, every two years, every four years. And still this, this, you know, book that is used, this narrative is advanced. It's such a lie. 
John, we just listened to the left get apoplectic about DACA, and I can show you 15 videos of President Obama and Chuck Schumer talking about how bad DACA was. Yeah. They're liars. No, They're I got the tapes. I got them all. I right. hear you. Well, you know, again, that's that's exactly who they are. And you know what? If Jamil Hill has one ounce of guts, she'll come on my show, and I'll, I will absolutely reveal her to be the racist she is. And by the way, Colin Kaepernick, who you mentioned earlier, tweeted support for yeah. Jameel Hill. The newsflash is Colin Kaepernick is not in the NFL because he sucks. It has nothing to do with his political stance. Well, he used Nobody to have a good arm, but he, he absolutely well, st- stopped training or something. He, he's well, nothing it, like it, he used it, to well, be. Well, but the Wildcat offense had its run for about a year and a half. And I can tell you this. It's a $9 billion a year business. They don't, they'll put up with almost anything when you look at some of the people that have been on rosters, on and off rosters. But the fact of the matter is no one wants the headache with a second-string player. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Kirk Chilling. All right, buddy. Troublemaker now at Breitbart.com, 800-941-SEAN. Toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. All right. That's going to wrap things up for today. Let not your heart be troubled. We'll be back tomorrow. But tonight, Hannity, 10 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. All right. The president now pushing tax reform. The president meeting with Democrats. Why he is now in this position. I have one word. Well, two words. Republican weakness. You know, fill in any adjective you want. Anyway, Ted Cruz will join us. Dr. Sebastian Gorka tonight will hold Washington accountable. Clinton's excuses. Kaylee McEnany is going to join us. And Greg Jarrett and Sarah Carter. 10 Eastern Hannity on Fox. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Who does Sean Hannity choose when diversifying his savings with gold and silver? None other than the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co. Gold Co. is a seven-time Inc. 5000 winner with thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped tens of thousands of Americans place over $2 billion in gold and silver. They're Sean Hannity's top choice. And right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. Go to HannityGold.com to learn more. That's HannityGold.com. You know, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Now, qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and, of course, mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean and claim your eligibility for free, your brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Again, it's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, and switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk.